as you make your way to Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, this past week I had worked through the message and Thursday night I had headed out on a, a little bit of a bike ride and I was just working through the text in my heart and mind and praying and asking the Lord to help me have some clarity. And um, in the midst of that ride, the Lord began to remind me of the words that we just walked through last week in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, where it says, To us a son is born, to us a child is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and they will call his name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no what? No end. Today I want to compel you as we begin to hear this message. We'll hear some challenging words. You must anchor in the cross of Christ. You must anchor in this Son of God that was given, this child that was born, because there is ultimately going to come a rule and reign that will never end of eternal peace where the government and everything will be upon His shoulders. It is with those words that we answer this question today, or I hope and pray that we will answer this question through the words of the prophet Isaiah. If nations are used by God, then how are they responsible? It was um, this past uh, early spring that Brother Todd and I had gone to Louisville around a conference, and one of the men that preached the title of his sermon or the main emphasis of his message was, Brothers, your God is not big enough. Today will be a reminder to us that maybe our view of God is not big enough. This is a bubble-breaking, box-breaking God that we are going to see who is ruling and reigning over the nations. And we're going to be after a very intentional question that I think many of us deal with or have dealt with. If the nations are used by God, if God is sovereign over the nations, if He is ruling and reigning throughout history then how are people responsible? How will God bring judgment, right, if he's using the nation? So let's try to answer those words through the lens of the prophet Isaiah. The first question we're going to have to answer in attempting to bring this question about is this. Why would God ever oppose the nations, even his own people? Why would God even oppose the nations? Why would he ever even be against them, especially his own people. Verse 8 of Isaiah 9 begins, the Lord has sent a word. Notice it says it is against Jacob. Jacob is the northern kingdom, often maybe referred to as either Ephraim or Israel. And he says, listen, I want you to know that God is in fact against his very own people, Jacob. And you might ask, then, why in the world would God be against his own people? That just sounds contradictory. Why is God upset? The prophet answers these words by saying further in verse 9, And all the people will know Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria. Two different words to describe again Jacob, the northern kingdom. Notice what he says about them. Who say in what? In what? Pride and in what? Arrogance of heart. You say, why would God be opposed to his people? Because of pride. You say, what kind of pride did his people have? Look what it says here. He's going to kind of just flesh this out for us. 
And he's going to talk about, he says, listen to what he says there further. The bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. I don't know if this is the anthem, we will, we will, that Queen picked up on or not. But needless to say, the people have that same mantra, we will, we will. We're going to rock you. We're going to do whatever we want, God. We will rebuild. No one can come against us. You can't keep us down. And God says, it's that very pride and arrogance of heart that has brought me against my own people. So what does pride look like? Well, look at the prophet Isaiah answer it for us. First, we see that pride is a refusal to repent that brings judgment. First and foremost, political collapse. It says further, verse 14 of Isaiah 9, the Lord, so he says, the Lord cut off from Israel head and tail Palm branch and reed in one day. The elder and honored man is the head and the prophet who teaches what? Teaches lies. There's a corruptness that's beginning to happen at the head that's beginning to filter down to the entire body. Look what he says here. For those who guide this people have been leading them what? Astray, right? So the leadership, the guiding of the people, the leadership is in fact leading them astray. They are teaching them lies. So there's a corruptness that's happening amongst the leadership in this nation. And we see it often, we see it in our own nation. Look what happens further though. There's also not only a corruptness of them, there's a corruptness of the lives of the people. Look what he says further, verse 17. For everyone, notice what he says here, everyone is what? Is godless and an evildoer. Every mouth, again, every mouth, everyone's mouth speaks folly. says, listen, I want you to know this pride has not just affected the leadership. The leadership is now affecting the people. The people are following these lies. They are believing this um, ungodly propaganda, so to speak. They are believing this, and it's leading them astray. So what happens further? We'll look at this furtherness of this pride. Pride is manifest by a self-concern. There is a concern only for yourself. And look what happens here with the people. Beginning in verse 18. For wickedness burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It kindles the thickets of the forest. And they roll upward in a column of smoke. The translation of this text is, or the interpretation of the text is difficult. It's likely that what he's saying is what starts as a small fire is growing. What started with just maybe a bush or two is now growing and taking over the forest. We know this practically. Why? Because often it just starts with one glance at that person that's not your spouse or one glance at that image or it's just that one drink or it's just that one lie or it's just that one night out or it's just that one... You fill in the blank. Needless to say, the pride of the people and their thinking that it won't hurt them or they're strong enough to make it through that is deception He says, through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched and the people are like fuel for the fire. Look what he says about the people. No one does what? Spares another. No one spares another. The fall of the northern kingdom of Israel will happen around 722 B.C. Up until that point, they've had six kings. Six kings. Five of the six are assassinated. Only one of them will actually pass the throne on to his son, rightly. Six kings, five of them assassinated. Why? Because no one spares another. There is such great pride. Everyone is concerned about getting my own. This is about me. 
This is about my best life. And if it has to step on your life, I don't care. I want what's best for me. Look what happens here about this, again, this pride, this self-concern is that, guess what? No matter how much they have, they're never satisfied. Verse 20 of Isaiah 9 says they slice meat on the right, but they're still what? Still hungry. They devour on the left, but they're not satisfied. Each devours the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh devours Ephraim, and Ephraim devours Manasseh. This is a house divided, and we, we listen, we know that. That a house divided against itself, Jesus said it won't what? Can't stand, right? I mean, we, we've, that's the founding principle of the, of the Estados Unidos, United States of America. And yet we see this country being ripped apart. That's what they're doing. They're devouring one another. It says, together they are against Judah. Let us be reminded to not believe the lie that just a little bit more money and then I'll be content. Just a few more points in the game and then I'll reach my marker. Just a little bit higher test score. Just a few more notches up the corporate ladder. Just a little bit bigger house. Just a little bit more of this. A little bit more of that. And then I'll be satisfied. The reminder of the biblical text and the anthem throughout history is unless you become satisfied in Jesus Christ and was crucified, you're going to look in wells all the rest of your life trying to drink from this, drink from that, drink from this. There's but one well that's satisfied, and his name is Jesus. Thirdly, what do we see about pride? Pride is a rejection of God and his holy law that leads to either the reinterpreting or the rewriting of morality. Pride is a rejection of God and his holy word that leads either to a reinterpretation or a rewriting of morality and what we know as big T truth. All truth becomes equal. All truth is little t. Listen what it says here. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression. So again, there's a transformation. They're either reinterpreting the law or they're rewriting God's word, wanting things to fit for them. Why? Why are they doing this? Look what this happens here. Again, these are just interpretive ways. When you come to work, read God's Word, I hope and pray you're starting to see the key words help you interpret. You're going to see this refrain. You're going to say, to, to, that, and that. Listen to this. Watch it out. So why, why are they reinterpreting the law? Well, they want to turn aside the needy from justice. They want to, notice who all they're picking on here, the needy. They want to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows might be their spoil, and that they might make the fatherless their prey. They're picking on the needy, the poor, the widow, and the fatherless. The weakest of society, that's who they're stepping on. And we might need to ask a practical question from this text for us as Americans. What does it say about us when we close our eyes to our African-American brothers and sisters being abused and overlooked in this society? What does it say about us or what might need to be our warning or response today when we close our ears to the cries of immigrant, immigrant children who have been separated from their families? He said, Blake, that's just meddling. No, the, the first John warns, it says, how can we claim to love God who we can't see when we don't love our brothers and sisters who we can see? It's not merely just a social gospel. Love is the heart of the gospel. And you say, Blake, you know what? I'm not really concerned about those things. They don't affect me. 
These people thought the, thought the same thing. Listen to what God says to them in verse 3. What will you do on the day of punishment? In the ruin that will come from afar. To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. God warns the people, be careful. As Galatians 6 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man or woman reaps what they what sow. And so it is with the nation. This nation is abusing the needy, the poor, the widows, the fatherless, the weak. And God wants them to know that there's going to come a day when judgment will come to your house and you won't have anybody to call on for help. You're going to reap the very same thing you've treated others. You're reaping what you have sown. So I wanted to take that part of the text and walk through it with you because I wanted to show you that God is just. That God is holy and right in bringing this judgment. This isn't God just like having a kid fit where he's mad and upset and he's like taking his stuff and he's just throwing it and he's losing all self-control and he's just burst out in anger. And This isn't God just losing control. This is God who is bringing right judgment, who is bringing holy and just judgment against his own people. It is deserved. Now watch what God does. God is going to use the nations to bring judgment. Watch this, beginning in verse 11 and 12 of Isaiah 9, and then verse 5 and 6 of Isaiah 10. Notice what he says here, beginning in verse 11 of Isaiah 9. But the Lord raises the adversaries. So the Lord is raising up the adversaries of resin against him. And the Lord is stirring up his enemies. The Syrians on the east, the Philistines on the west, devour Israel with open mouth. Further, look what he says here again. This is God. How does God use the nations, right? We're trying to answer that question. God using the nations here to bring judgment. Woe to, look what he says here. It's the the nation of Assyria. He calls the nation of Assyria the rod of what? My anger. Notice what he says here further. Assyria is the staff, so it's their staff in the hands. But listen when he says, it's my fury. He says, listen, I want you to know that Assyria is coming against my own people, but they are in fact my rod. They are my staff. It's them, but it, it, I want you to know they are coming against, look what he says here. He's going to answer the question. Why is he doing this? Against a, look what he calls them, a godless nation. I send him. Now, we know what a godless nation looks like. We've just heard it. Political corruptness, um, self-centeredness, reinterpreting or rewriting the laws to step on and abuse the weak in society. He says, I want you to know that God is sending them against a godless nation and against the people. He calls them the people of my wrath. I command him. Right again. So you're, you're seeing this. This is God at work to take spoil and seize plunder and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. God is bringing a just judgment. And this is where we come to that question. If God is using the people of Assyria, right? This back to this, this question we're hoping to get answered. Then how are they responsible? 
So if God is ruling and reigning over the nations and, and he is over all, then how are the nations and nations like Assyria even responsible? Isaiah, I think, as any good writer, anticipates our questions, right? When it comes time to be a good writer, the good writer is always wondering or thinking in the mind of the reader what questions are they going to ask, and they write in a way to help inform or answer the questions that you're going to perceive. So it is with the Word of God and the prophet Isaiah. Again, if nations are used by God, then how are they responsible? We've shown the people of God were prideful and deserving of just judgment. We've shown that God is going to use the nations, this, in this example, Assyria. And now we're going to ask, then how then is Assyria even responsible? Look what happens here, beginning in verse 7 of Isaiah 10. But, speaking of Assyria, he does not so intend. Notice what their motive is. And his heart does not think so, or does not so think, but it is in his heart to do what? To destroy. And to cut off. Notice what he says here. I think it's interesting. Not nation, which God had called him against a godless nation. He wants nations. The pride is guarding to ramp up. Do you see it? There's thoughts and motives. Assyria is being used, but Assyria is coming forward saying, listen, here I want you to see, Isaiah says, I want you to see actually their motives. The motives of their heart were to destroy to cut off, and it wasn't just one nation. They weren't just doing what God wanted. They wanted to expand their own empire. They wanted to make their name great. Look further with me, verse 13 of Isaiah 10. Look what also it says here about their thoughts. For he says, look back verse 8, and then come into verse 13 with me. For he says, again, see their thoughts now revealed. For he says, are not my commanders all kings? Isn't this the greatest Syria that I've built? Look what he further says in verse 13. For he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. And by my wisdom, for I have understanding, I remove the boundaries of people and plunder their treasures like a bull. I bring down those who sit on thrones. My, I, repetitively being used, the pride of Assyria is being Revealed from the text. God is revealing the hearts of those that he's using that they, in fact, are evil too. Notice what it says about their hands. Verse 13 again. For he says, by the strength of my hand. Look what he says here about his hand. My hand, I have done it. And by the, my wisdom, for I have understanding, I, re, I remove. Look what he says he does here. Look what he says. I remove the boundaries of peoples. So he says, listen, I want you to know that I'm so strong that I change the boundaries. Further, and it's me that plunders their treasures. I'm taking treasures. I'm doing whatever my hand desires. I'm taking whatever I want. Further, like a bull, I bring down those who sit on thrones. He says, listen, I want you to know that this king of Assyria and this great nation, yes, they're being used by God, but I want you to see the fact that it's their hands that are doing it. Their hands that are changing boundaries. Their hands that are taking treasures that are not theirs. Their hands that are changing out kings and deposing them. So their motives, their thoughts, their hands, it all reveals that Assyria also is prideful. And so that brings us maybe then to what's to be done with them. God's going to bring judgment. God will bring judgment even to the nations that he has used. Why? 
Because it's their own sin. Did you see it in the text? Isaiah has just shown us. Why is God doing this? Because of the sin of that nation. They are being rightly judged. Yes, God is using them, but they themselves are sinful. So look what happens here. Beginning of verse 16. A key interpretive word. Therefore, you're looking for it. Therefore, therefore, the Lord God of hosts. As if Isaiah is reminding us in the midst of this, don't forget that this is a holy God. A just God. Who will send wasting sickness amongst his stout warriors. And under his glory, a burning will be kindled like the burning of fire. Further, verse 18, the glory of his forest and of his fruitful land, the Lord will destroy both soul and body. And it will be as when a sick man wastes away. The judgment will come suddenly and it will be complete according to Isaiah 37 and 36. is when we hear that in one night an angel of the Lord went out and put up to death 185,000 soldiers of the Syrian army. God is bringing a just judgment even upon those he has used because they too are prideful and sinful and deserving of judgment. I told you the prophet Isaiah is very straightforward, very honest, and at times hard to read because it causes us probably to squirm because we realize that we're pretty sinful and messed up too. And that's what's so beautiful continually throughout Isaiah's text. He brings us these truths like this. Despite man's sin, even though there is judgment, God's faithfulness continues. Despite our sin, even in the midst of judgment, God's faithfulness continues. I don't know if you heard it or not. I don't know what that was. I don't know if you heard that or not, but... Look what he says here further. Verse 17 of Isaiah 10. The light of Israel will become a fire and his holy one a flame. And it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. He says, I want you to know it may appear that God is done with his people. But it's as if God is up there singing this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine. Right? Not going to blow it out. God is saying, listen, I want you to know, look what he says here. There is a light in Israel. And he says, I want you to know what that light in Israel is. It's not the goodness in them. It is the fact that there is a holy one amongst them. There is one coming who will rescue my people from the wickedness of their hearts. There is one that has come and give his life that you could be changed and transformed from the inside out. He says, I want you to know that in that day, verse 20, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. He says, a remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. He says, it may appear that God's done with his people, but God is merciful and gracious and will send a Savior He says, verse 22, For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. That sand of the sea, again, is ancient language back to the time of Abraham when God promised to make the Israelites like the sand of the sea. He says, God's faithfulness is not finished. You see, I think we need to take this type of understanding of how God uses nations and uses evil and wickedness to understand what's happening in the life of Jesus Christ. It was Jesus on trial in John chapter 19 and he's there having a dialogue with the Roman ruler Pilate and 
He tells Pilate something important in John 19. He says, I tell you the truth. You would have no power over me unless it were given to you from above. He says, Pilate, you may think that you're in charge of Syria. You may think that they were in charge back in this time. But in fact, he says, I want you to know that my God, my dad is in charge. Listen, we need to hear this. Because you live in the midst of a chaotic land. You, you see headlines flashing across your screen. You're wondering who's in charge of this world. Listen to how the New Testament and the early church interpret all of this. Beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of who? Of God. It says this was God's plan, but watch what happens here. The people are guilty. Look what he says to them. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. They said, I understand that what's happening here with Jesus' life is in fact part of God's plan, but sinful humanity is bringing it about. Look further with me. Acts 4, 27 and 28. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Look what it says. It was Herod... There was Pilate, it was the Gentiles, and it was all the people of Israel. He says, listen, this is his way of saying everybody in the whole world was against Jesus. And then look what he says here. To do. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. He says, God, I see the evil in this land and this world that ultimately brought about the death of Jesus Christ. But this isn't just humanity accomplishing their plan. This was, in fact, God, your plan. And God, you were using your plan to save us. And even though we are guilty, God, that you love us. And even though we have rejected you. And even though we put your very son to the cross. It was a part of your plan to rescue people like us. That we could be forgiven. That he could die. He could take your sin on the cross. And his sinless life by faith could be credited to you. That you could stand before a holy God forgiven. That prideful people like us, just like the people of Israel, could be forgiven. But beloved, if you reject this offer of salvation, there is no other. All throughout history, God is ruling and reigning and he will bring about his desired end. And amazingly so, despite the headlines and everything you may feel on the inside, he's using all of the evil and the wickedness to bring about the glory of his son Jesus. And everything that is happening and taking place now is to point you and I to our need of one who will come, who of his, his government and his peace, there will be no end. I don't know if you see the headlines and you clamor for that, but my soul desires for a life, a new world, where there will be eternal peace, where the nations will not fight anymore, where the people will not be at war, where you within your own homes will no longer be divided spouse against spouse, children with parents, co-workers and others, and all that you feel and you clamor for on the inside. I want you to know there's only one place to find peace. It is in the name of God's only Son. He has come to make peace with God for you by His life. Do not reject it today in your pride and say, I'm okay as I am. No, you're not. We're not. We're in desperate need of Christ and His forgiveness. 
He loves you in the midst of your sin. I'll leave you with this text as our musicians make their way. Romans 5 and 8. But God demonstrated His love for us in this. Do you want to know how God loves you and I? Paul says it's in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for who? Us. Romans 5 and 8. Christ died for you and I in the midst of our sin. Christ died for a sinful, rebellious people of the people of Israel. Beloved, reject not this truth. Repent today of your way of life. Just as Brandon acknowledged his need of repentance and faith in Christ to rescue him from hell. The Bible warns that any who reject the name of Jesus will be separated from God forever. They'll be punished eternally for their sin. I had a five-year-old this week that told me, Dad, I wish, I wish there wasn't a hell. I was like, bro, I feel you. But God is just. And our sin is serious against the holy God. The good news is, is that God sent His Son for you and I that we won't have to go and experience that hell, that separation from Him forever. And it's in the midst of your sin. Not when you clean up your life enough, but in the midst of your sin, even now, God loves you and Christ died for you. Well, today, you repent and believe on the name of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, would you make all things clear, pointing all people under your Son? Thank you, Father, for loving us and dying for us even in the midst of our sin. Father, today we see that sin is serious, that you will bring judgment just as you did. But God, we can escape that judgment by coming unto yourself. And so, Father, I pray today that people will come to you through the Son and the power of the Spirit. I pray this in the name of Jesus the King. Amen. Would you stand with us to sing this morning? If you'd love to pray or talk more about your faith or spiritually what's going on in your life, myself, Brother Todd, others, we'd love to talk with you, pray with you. Maybe you're concerned about this nation, concerned about what's going to happen with your family long after you're gone. I hope and pray today that you can kneel and realize that your God is in control, that He's not lost control. He rules over the nations even now. And He will bring about His desired end, pointing everyone unto His Son. Would you worship with us? Would you come? Would you pray? I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin and left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find Thy power. Jesus.
crimson as white as snow.